I'm Caleb Rowe, and this is the Air of Grievances podcast. Today I'm featuring my interview with my old friend, very, very close friend, Ed Rogers. Ed and I met in college at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and we were friends right away. We played in a few different bands together uh, for quite a few years, and we've always been really, really close friends, and we remain close friends to this day, even though we don't see each other as much as we used to. When I first moved out to Kansas from Kentucky in 2013, just being separated by so much distance, um, you know, we didn't really see each other so much. He did come and visit one time when he was passing through Kansas, and then I did visit him uh, when I went to Kentucky uh, to see old friends and play a string of shows uh, before I moved out to Minnesota. And we've always really had a lot of respect for each other's art specifically, Uh, For a little while, we actually lived in the same place. Ed has always had a lot of initiative, and he bought this place, this building, that we used the bottom floor of as an art gallery and a music venue. Uh, And then upstairs, to kind of fund the place, he rented out rooms, which were just, it was just a big open space, and the quote-unquote rooms were separated just by, like, sheets hanging from the ceiling. And it was called Arch Rivals, A-R-T... C-H-R-I-V-A-L-S and we lived there together for a little while Uh, it didn't really sustain itself but it was a great idea and it was a really cool kind of community of artists from different mediums and just really just a place for a bunch of close friends to kind of crash together and cooperate on and collaborate on their projects together so Ed has always had a lot of initiative and always had big ideas big picture ideas And that's something that he still retains today, just expressing it through his newfound perspective on life. So here's my interview with my old friend, Ed. I guess I can start off and then I'll just, uh, I'll lead it to you. Yeah, cool. But first, I just want to talk to Jesus and, um, Jesus, uh, I'm really excited about this opportunity just to reconnect with Caleb and just have this time together. He's an awesome dude. I'm excited about what he's doing and, uh, excited about the church he's involved in. I see his quirks taking off and it's awesome. Um, I don't know what you have planned for this time, but just please help Caleb and me just have a, growing and cultivating discussion and uh, just please be in us and moving us and uh, if there's anything that you want me to say or stand up for or criticize or pout about or (laughs) be revolutionary about just please put it in my heart and please speak through me yeah lord thank you for giving us this time and doing all the work that you've done in Ed's life and in my life and for just coordinating things so beautifully and perfectly and for orchestrating our lives in ways that like we could never, ever guess. Thank you, God, for that. And thank you for the opportunity to, to learn from each other and to speak into each other's lives and just to kind of share where we're at. And even though it's a, it's a small platform, thank you for this platform that we have to kind of just be honest and be open and, and put it out there for people. And yeah, just I echo Ed and just ask you to help to guide our conversation and steer it in the direction you want. I I don't have anything planned at all. Just take us wherever you want us to go. In your name, amen. Amen. Like I just said, I really don't have anything planned in particular. That's perfect. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, it's good to to hear you and to see, and to see you and stuff. And thanks for seriously, thanks for doing this. Like oh. it's kind of out of the blue. And you wanted to just talk, and then I threw at you. You wanted to do a podcast episode, sort of thing. And yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> you, you just went with it, so yeah. that's awesome. Um, I think it's in, really interesting, like your journey personally. And, of course, I don't know a lot about you from your pre-college years. You know this, obviously, partly for the sake of anyone listening. You know, we met in college, and you've obviously come a long way since then. 
and you know been through all sorts i mean honestly all sorts of shit just like had a lot of stuff thrown at you and you know somehow you landed on your feet which is says i think a lot about you personally i'm personally kind of curious what was your spirituality like before we met what was your kind of path before college where you were at kind of personally wow well when i was really young the first experience i had with people relating to me about god and who god was uh, was my parents mm-hmm. mostly my mom my mom would talk to me about god being my creator and you know i, w- I would have these you know very like young metaphysical questions mm-hmm. just like you know what is infinity and, yeah sure, sure and i don't understand what life after death would be and you know these kind of questions mm. but you know we were in a church it was mostly about teaching lessons with morals okay and it wasn't so much based on a relationship with Jesus. Okay. So I eventually made friends in the sixth grade, and I went to a summer camp. And this was a much more intimate kind of seeking that I had never experienced before. Uh-huh. And that's when I first met Jesus mm. and first realized, like, wow, there's, there's something more here. Mm, okay. And so for a while, I was very... I guess, I mean, for my age, pretty serious about my faith and just wanted to grow deeper in that. However, I didn't have very strong roots in what faith actually brings to us. And I I didn't know exactly what my enemy was. Mm, Okay. That's an interesting way to word it. So after a time, you know, I had a lot of questions that were brought up to me by especially a lot of of friends that I met because I started, Mm -hmm. you know, meeting people that uh, were, you know, atheist, agnostic, and open-minded people, and they had a lot of fair and, and I felt like sincere questions about the teachings of Christianity. And um, mm. I remember one of the key things was, when you go to hell, you suffer forever. Uh-huh. And that was, I guess, one of the teachings that the church that I was familiar with would say, that's not biblical, but mm. I didn't know that. And I didn't have a uh, a good root into what God's truth is through connecting with God and, and talking with God. So mm-hmm. I started thinking about it. I was like, well, you know, one of the worst people in history, you know, we, we're, we, we often accuse Hitler of being that. Right, right. And it's like, well, okay, what did he do? He made people suffer in these kinds of ways, but it's like suffering forever. It just, that makes God, you know, even more sadistic than... Yeah, that, right. You know, it's like, that's not cool. And so mm. <laughs> I started having all these other doubts, and it started to become more of me collecting arguments against what I now see as mm. religion, or what I see as the church, okay. as religion, not the church as the body. And I think those are the mm. two mm-hmm. different poles that, I, that I've come through since then, because I did plunge down into just, it was started out as agnosticism, and then an even more extreme agnosticism was nihilism. And I was very much into these uh, philosophical arguments for nihilism. You know, basically saying we don't have any kind of meaning in the world unless we create it. And so I, I became really interested in replacing what was used to be my faith with art okay. or some kind of creative purpose. And, and I guess that goes for the term is, you know, art for art's sake. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt like, okay, well, I'm at a point where I'm just saying, fuck it. I don't know what my purpose is, but I'm I'm going to create a purpose if I have to. Okay. But, you know, I didn't understand my demons. And I didn't understand how they have their own agenda. And, and they really, I can look back on several things that happened to me, including just like getting into a lot of dark, places like I, I guess for instance just like a lot of hatred mm. and anger against christianity mm. and um expressing uh-huh. in really sometimes really vulgar ways i even participated in, in making this video that mocked the crucifixion of christ and it was mostly out of bitterness and and my anger however it was done in this way that was we were playing a joke on, on our friend. We we're like, what if we crucified our friend? But we very deliberately pulled it out to say, okay, this is like the crucifixion of Christ. Ha ha. And it was, that, that's how just far into this state of anger I was. 
I didn't realize how deep I got into it over time mm. either. And this led into uh, me going, I, I nearly went and started this career in the video game industry. Mm-hmm. You know, after this same pursuit of uh, I need to find meaning for my life, you know, I was seriously one email away from moving out to LA. Wow. And, you know, during this time, a lot of really supernatural things started happening. Mm. The first being an exorcism that was done by one of the least likely people that I would have ever imagined doing an ex- exorcism. Wow, okay. And um, Can you elaborate on that? Like, what? how did that go down? <laughs> yeah. Um, so one night, uh, I was visiting my friend Jules in Denver, and my girlfriend at the time showed up, and we were partying, and uh, I, the way she described it, it was just wasn't myself all of a sudden. Mm. I was answering her questions in numbers and just started talking about how God hated us. And she would ask me what, who my, what my name was. Mm. I continued to repeat seven, you know, my name is seven. And eventually it led into me after repeating these things about Satan and, and how God hated us. She started to tell me that God loved me mm. and it started to, really moved me. I remember breaking into tears. I remember something leaving me. But after these nine years of being this atheist agnostic nihilist, uh-huh. I suddenly wanted to know God. Mm. I suddenly wanted to pray or to experience God in whatever way I, I could. It was all of a sudden this interest. So after feeling this this thing leave me, I wanted to know God. Wow. Then I, I realized that God was communicating with me. And, you know, I started thinking, okay, I got to figure out who this God is then. Mm. And <laughs> as soon as I started to realize it was Jesus, my first reaction was, no, this is the last religion <laughs> I want to believe in. I don't want to believe in this one uh-huh. because it's the one I've been so bitter at. But I, once I realized that I couldn't deny it was Jesus who was talking to me, mm. I started to experience what it is to have a softened heart and to have a new heart. And I don't know what it means other than this is this uh, experience that I, I can't forget. Mm. I went on a drive. I felt God tell me to go on this drive. And during this time, I end up in this weird figure eight on the highway. And everything around me starts to suddenly feel different, sort of in this kind of transition out of reality, almost like a hallucination, mm. like drug trip. Almost sounds like a mystical experience. Yeah. And I started to realize that there was this really hideous glare in the background and it felt as though it was it was hell it was this burning city or mm. uh, something like that and it was it was in the distance and god told me not to be afraid he told me that he was just wanting to show me these things and i, I felt my head get cut off mm. and then my head a new head get put onto me because your your heart is really in, in your mind mm. it's not really in your chest okay so it was him showing me that he gave me a new heart. And he told me that I was walking myself in that direction. And he wasn't going to follow me in there and that I could come with him. And that's when I just, <laughs> I gave up. I surrendered and I said, I don't got this. I need you and I'm going to follow you. Mm. And ever since then, everything's been different. Wow. So I guess a really long-winded answer to no, your question. That's great, man. That's great. Um <laughs> You mentioned hell a couple times. I, w- I just wonder, where did you land? Like, what's your current perspective on it? Like, do you believe in, like, eternal conscious punishment? Or, like, are you more, like, into annihilationism? Like, you're punished and you cease to exist sort of thing? Or, like, where, where have you landed? Definitely in the punishing and then cease to exist. Because I found in Scripture, and I always go to King James just because I feel like I've found the most coherency for me, okay. at least. The verses that I was confused about, it says, hell is a place with eternal fires. Mm -hmm. Okay, the fires are eternal. But uh, another verse, and I wish I could be like that guy that just knows the exact (laughs) verse. And it's just like, this exact, (laughs) I mean, I'm not that guy. The numbers are made But another verse, (laughs) it's true. The the breaks and the lines and everything. Yeah, and the titles (laughs) prefacing (laughs) each section. (laughs) But the first verse that hit me was, you know, hell is a place with eternal fires. Mm -hmm. And then another verse says that hell is a place where you suffer for what you deserve and then you perish. Mm. And for a while I was thinking, okay, wait a minute, what's going on? But 
the fires are eternal. The hell is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. But the suffering is not eternal. Mm. The suffering is there for what is due, and then you perish. And I've had a heart-to-heart with God about this, because it was very troubling to me. And he let me know that any time he is to bring someone to the point that they perish, it's going to be compassionate. Mm. He's going to let them know that he loves them. He's going to let them know the meaningful outcomes that they've had in their journey. He's going to put them in a place of peace and rest through his compassion when he says, you know, it's time just to end. Mm -hmm. And I feel comfortable that I'm not one of these guys that's like, are you saved? Because I'm saved. And it's like, let's just make this whole thing about being saved. Uh, You know, it's just like, that's, I think, a great thing that can happen. But I think that if we're trying to achieve that, we're missing the Mm, point. mm. And if I can just meet God, Mm. just face to face and just have a heart to heart with him in his closeness, that's enough for me. And I feel like that's more than I deserve. Mm, So mm. if he decides that, hey, I'm going to teach you what you were too stubborn to learn throughout your life, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to also be real with you and I'm going to laugh with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to scream with you. And then, you know, we're going to have this closing ceremony and it comes to an end. I would be grateful Uh if like I have to go through hell and, you know, it sucks. It's terrible. But I also have this heart to heart with God where he makes justice out of everything, you know, Mm. and, and, and brings his view on my existence, you know, to me. I believe that that in itself is greater than I deserve. Mm. So if I go to heaven, I mean, wow, that's, I, I don't understand, but you know, um, it's not about that for me. It's it's really about spreading uh, Christ's revolution and participating in that, and that's really where we are right now. Yeah. This is this is not about how we can go to heaven. This is how we can participate in the revolution mm. that He is allowing us to participate. Yeah, in. wow, yeah, man, I totally hear you there for sure. Yeah, I I think, and I've talked about this before, but like I think that. Um, it's really easy to get hung up on just like kind of punching that ticket, you know, that box is checked for when you die or whatever, and then missing out on kind of building what we're like anticipating is, you know, already built for us, but like actually doing the work and, you know, getting dirty and washing people's feet and stuff like that and (laughs) making this place a better place. And yeah, for a little while I was specifically materialistic just while I was trying to kind of reconcile spirituality with, you know, material existence. But I think that was kind of a healthy learning time, a healthy transition to glean from that some validity that, yeah, like what we see and feel here and now isn't just like some precursor that you you throw away. Like, you know, people always say, oh, it's just a blink of an eye. This is, our existence is just like so tiny compared to eternity or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think that even if that is true, I think that there's a danger in missing the point of productivity of an active, engaged life, you know? Yeah. If that makes any sense. Definitely. I believe it's missing the point of the body. Mm. And and the, I guess I said earlier that, you know, where I started was the church as religion. And now I understand and am invested in the church as the body of Christ. Mm. And those two things, I believe, are the most black and white things, because we have this church that's totally satanic, and we we accept it sometimes as being, you know, this is the house of God. Mm. But we look at, you know, Jesus and who he was most upset about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was most upset about the people that were, were saying, okay, these are all the rules, and this is what you need to do to be a good person. And if you're not that, then shame on you. You're lesser than, you know, you're lesser than us. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I believe that so many parts of the mainstream church have been so manipulated and fueled by Satan for the destruction of the church. And really the, (laughs) the revolution right now is, I believe, starting with, with Jesus's empathy. I believe that this is a chapter of revolution that is the stage of empathy. Mm. And there are, I think, five things that we can ask to 
be started in this chapter that, that Jesus is bringing right now. And that's for him to free us from the way that others see us, for him to free us from the way that we see ourselves, for us to be able to see others the way that he sees others. Mm, yeah. For us to be able to see ourselves the way that he sees us. Mm. And for us to be able to see him and the truth of who he is. Wow, yeah. Mm, and that's good. And being able to break away from these it's like we have those virtual reality goggles, you know, mm. that are just like in front of our face that are displaying this this image of reality and like when our heads move you know, the vision moves and everything, uh-huh. and it feels like it's part of us, but it's really not. Like, we have this weird artificial view of everything just because of everything that's that the world has told us is true. Uh-huh. And and we're at a this stage where we're, we're breaking out of that. We're starting to, you know, start this new way of thinking because it's what God is having us do in this part of time. It's imperative that we do that. Mm. And that's exciting. Mm. Yeah, dude, I agree. <laughs> So changing the way we think, but changing the way we live and changing the way that we think about God and live for God. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I love talking about Jesus because (laughs) I think Peter Rollins once said in one of his videos that Jesus sort of, he just breaks apart everything that was created that you thought was there as like this kind of concrete Mm -hmm. view of God. He just breaks it apart and he builds it up again and... There's this part of Jesus that if we would see him today doing what he was doing, mm-hmm. we would have said, that looks like a cult. Right. <laughs> We're like, it's pushing against the thing that he says it is. Yeah. Like this form of Judaism or whatever is like heretical yeah. compared to the current norm or whatever. Yeah. Like we would have this view of him like, oh, he's not sophisticated. He's not supporting his family, you know, he's not doing the right thing because, you know, we have all our values messed up, but really he was sacrificing everything for whom he called his friends. Mm. The one verse I can quote is my favorite verse, and it's because my entire passion for living throughout this faith comes from this poem, this poetic cry. It's John fifteen thirteen. And Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man give his life for his friends. Mm. That is so awesome. It's so poetic and powerful and just encompassing Mm. of who Christ is, because that's what he's doing. He is the manifestation Mm -hmm. of God's empathy. Mm. Because without Jesus, God is the greatest possible being who is eternal and is you know, all good, all powerful, mm-hmm. and all knowing, but he's not us. Mm. So it's like, mm. okay, God, those rules are great, and that's a great in an ideal world, and you know, where nothing is wrong, but you don't know what it is to be like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is where Jesus is so important mm. because if yeah. an all loving God exists, he would have to know, to want to know what it is like to be. A human being. And that's why Jesus is so true and and, and important and this pinnacle Mm. of God's Mm -hmm. relationship with us and God's heart, really. Mm. Because without Jesus, he's just kind of sitting back and being like, well, this is the way you should be. But he's showing us how to be with him by taking him out of his place and putting him into this lesser being but in his lesserness he is even greater mm, and that's wow. just what's so beautiful about him yeah dude oh man <laughs> i love that i love how you put that so i, I didn't know you were a peter rollins fan well you, actually you got me into peter oh, rollins. Did I? okay it was so refreshing um yeah because i i don't get to talk about this much so this is really uh it feels very new <laughs> to talk about it, it's open and, and there are people in my life that I do talk about this too but it's rare unfortunately mm. um, but yeah Peter Rollins really did inspire me a lot when you showed me some of his stuff cool. um, I'm really happy that that man is, is getting out there and inspiring people to rethink yeah. the way that God's 
inspired him too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you, um, just kind of an aside, have you, uh, read his book, the Orthodox heretic at all? No. Um, the last thing that I was reading was, um, the idolatry of God. Mm. Well, it was oh, on, uh, audio. Oh yeah. But Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, dude, <laughs> dude, you should listen to the the Orthodox Heretic. I think I got a free audio download just, I think, by following him or maybe because I'm like a Patreon member of him just for like a buck a month or whatever. But uh, yeah. it's really, I mean, it's, it's just so good. But yeah, I, I love everything that guy has to say. And it's, it is like, like you said, just kind of revolutionary and, and so radical. And I, I wonder if if it's just in the vein of Protestantism and like, and in this notion that we're always supposed to be reexamining things and whenever we get too comfortable, it's probably a sign that we need to kind of break out and push against. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that example has been kind of ultimately set, you know, within our following of Christ. Like that is kind of the, that's the example that's set to step back from the establishment. And, you know, Peter Rollins talks a lot about deconstruction and about, objectivity and trying to see yourself through another person's eyes. He had a, a project that he would do where they would, it was something like an, an evangelism project or something like that, but they would go to other religions, like to either, you know, mosques or to synagogues or wherever. And then they would listen to the whole lesson. And then afterwards they would talk to them and ask them to evangelize to them and then they, at the end, they would ask, what do we look like to you? Hmm. That's literally turning something on its head. That's literally doing it like <laughs> yeah. the wrong way, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, and he was actually interviewed about that specifically. And someone was like, well, you know, what if someone likes that faith better than the option that you're providing? Like, couldn't that backfire against you? And it was like, he didn't even understand the question. He was like okay, like, I don't see how that's, you know, an issue or whatever. If if something else resonates with someone more closely than whatever version of God. And that's something else that he talks a lot about is, like, how a lot of people become atheistic or agnostic, push against, quote-unquote, God, because the idea of God that they've had up until that point, they finally see kind of for what it is, and they're, you know, they see it nakedly, they see it you know, from another perspective, not just from what they've been kind of fed their whole lives, and they push against that. And so the idea is maybe you're not rejecting belief in any God, you're rejecting belief in whatever image of God or whatever version of the thing that you called God you were originally presented with. And I'm sure reading through the idolatry of God, you've probably, you know, come across that idea of just like how it's so easy, yeah, like to make God an idol, to make scripture an idol, to box it in and give it parameters, you know, is to kind of, you know, literally create an idol out of it. And yeah, I think that's what's turning off a lot of people to the idea of spirituality or, you know, Christianity specifically or belief in God is because they think God has to be like, this is oversimplifying, but they think God has to be like Santa Claus or something. And they're like, that's ridiculous. You know, I don't, I don't believe in that at all. And yeah. it's like, well, you know, you don't right. have to. There's a reason that certain things resonate with you and certain things don't. And being honest with yourself about what does and doesn't, I think, is super important. And I know for myself, for, for many, many years, I was afraid to even evaluate that, to even objectively look at how I saw, you know, the creator and how I saw the world and stuff like that. So for me, like when we first met, like I was first starting to actually step back and analyze things. It was definitely a pivotal time, you know, for me. And looking back on it, I'd say that it was, you know, an essential time. And it was important for me to to go through all that, I guess, for lack of a better term, deconstruction. But like, how do you feel about that idea that, and this also, I just, I wish I had a better way to, to say it, but the best terms I can come up with right now is like maybe people giving God like a second chance, quote unquote, like maybe just saying that maybe their conception was the thing that was flawed and not the core root idea. If Does that kind of make sense at all? Yeah, it does. Um, can I ask you a question yeah, totally. first though? Because I want to dig deeper into that. But, you know, you're talking about this 
I guess the the original image of God that that you were at at one point kind of had this fear to to reject mm-hmm. or to to criticize. What in your faith now? What what do you feel is the mo- thing that makes God most true to you and in, in your relationship with Him? What mm-hmm. what part of Him makes it just like where yes, this is what makes God so true to me? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's a great question. What, what part is that? Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, I'd say it's a combination of things. First, just my personal experience, like my lived experience. And I still I still don't have a problem with the term agnostic. I kind of like the term agnostic Christian just because it's acknowledging that this greater thing is unknowable, that any label you put on it is going to fall short. And it's almost kind of echoing, you know, the Desert Fathers and the mystics in saying it's you know, literally unknowable, agnostic, in the fullness of it, in a conclusive, like, let's write a theorem that is the final answer sort of thing. I think there's beauty in that. But yeah, to I guess to get back to kind of answering your question, yeah, it's definitely my lived experiences, whereas that's contrasted with it was just like what I was told it was just, I guess, you know, a set of rules. And one of the rules was you don't question things. And so, you know, I've had times to where being totally honest with myself, that presence wasn't real to me. And then, you know, a few days later, things lining up and kind of like you said, just like events in life and like the lessons that are presented before me just lining up so perfectly to where I can't help but embrace the truth of the existence of this. The term I'm most comfortable with probably is the divine, you know, because I I still do have like a lot of baggage with the term God just from, I was so deeply influenced by this version of religion growing up. And this is nothing against the term in general, but just for whatever reason, that's part of my baggage is that old image still pops up in my head whenever I hear the word. And that's something that I, that's my thing. You know, that's my problem. That's my baggage that I'm working through and stuff. Yeah. My lived experience is what I'd say makes it most true to me. And I feel like I'm in a lot healthier place now embracing, you know, any sort of skepticism that I have or any sort of doubts that I have. And, you know, people might say, Oh, well, there's a, a danger in that. And I'd say, it's not even just embracing skepticism for skepticism's sake. It's really just embracing being honest with myself. Like you said, like the whole idea of hell, like if that doesn't sit right with you, well, maybe there's a reason it doesn't sit right with you. Yeah. And, and if God is truth and God is love, and which I absolutely believe, then it's important for us to listen to ourselves and to acknowledge, you know, when something doesn't fully make sense to us or doesn't resonate with us and, a lot of times, you know, maybe it's a lack of understanding or like coming at it from, quote unquote, you know, the wrong angle. But I think things like that are intentional and are orchestrated and are ironed out. And if you don't confront any sort of doubt that you have, then you're kind of just brushing it under the rug or, or you're shaking the bottle with the top on it and eventually it's, it's going to pop. Or yeah. it's at least going to, you know, create a lot of bubbles and a lot of friction inside of you. Right. Yeah that imagery you have, it that feels true to me. Mm. <laughs> so can you remind me what your question was specifically? It was about oh, the, the what, what, what doesn't, it was about the, uh, what, what was my initial question? Um, you know, I, I, if neither of us remembers, it probably doesn't matter. Just moving forward. Like, it's okay. You brought up so, so many things that I was so compelled uh, about that it was just like, man, I don't even know. Those are those are really important things that not a lot of people in church are talking about, mm-hmm. at least from my experience. So yeah. it's really exciting that you're talking about it. Yeah. So branching off of that, do you go to a church now? Do you have like a place <laughs> to go every week or whatever? I do, I do, and it's a it's a non denominational church. Um, they have Pentecostal roots, okay. whatever that means. Okay. All I know is that they like to be loud, and that's important for me in a church. Mm. My fiance, who um, I talked to her you know, about God. And, and our relationships with God more than more than any other person. And she just has a totally different style of worship mm. than me. And it's okay. You know, we don't have to go to the same church, but she likes a very methodical 
calm, a lot more centered around peace mm. and I guess a methodical approach to delivering a message. Where for me, I, I like it to be a little more explosive mm. because <laughs> yeah. that's a little chaos. That's how I, yeah, I, I, that's the way I, I feel when I feel God's spirit inside me. I do feel this part of me that is is this explosive part of me that feels like I'm this kind of unmoving entity, but all of a sudden I feel this eruption of inspiration and it causes me to move. So mm. so that kind of style of worship is really important to me. And so I, I, I have found that there. We have a genuine group generally there that I, I don't sense a lot of judgment. Mm. Anytime I've opened up about anything of, you know, that might be taboo, it's generally been received particularly well. Yeah. There are still some things that I admit that, you know, I, I just don't say because in my head, it's just like, nobody's ever going to accept this, yeah, and I'm afraid of that. And like, mm-hmm. in that fear of not being accepted is what prevents me from speaking what I believe mm. is true sometimes, and I feel like that's one of my biggest weaknesses. Would you be comfortable giving an example of one of those things? Yeah. So, I believe that this whole idea that we're all going to be taken up by God in the rapture during the end times. I, I think that is uh, the most, I, I say little bunny foo-foo, just kind of fairy tale thing that just sound, it would be mm-hmm. so convenient. <laughs> it's like, Oh, the worst tribulation of all time. And then we're just taken up and we get to just hang out. It's like, why? It's the most convenient lie. I, I, I've ever come across it. it it's it, sometimes it just there's a part of me that really I have to I have to eventually say something it's in, to my church. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, maybe like write a poem and just be like this is this is the most convenient lie. <laughs> but like, like okay, so given that that's a very convenient lie that we'll all be taken up during the worst tribulation of all time. Which if there's ever a time for the body of Christ. It is during the worst tribulation of all time. Mm, so mm. I believe that we need to completely just rethink the way we live and prepare for a world that is getting ready to change indefinitely for there to be great tribulation. And the only thing that's going to work is the body of Christ. And for that to happen, we need to stop thinking that church is this thing that we just we go to mm. for an hour or two a week we see everybody no it's like the body is so broken up and we are so isolated and there needs to be such a closer community and i'm talking about like where community used to be you would live with a group of people that you survived with mm. and i think that we need to go back to simple living and learn how to live off the land and and just really start to really develop a closeness of family and community and, mm. and have a church with that where you're interacting every day, not just, you know, hearing a sermon, singing some songs and going home, right. but really living with each other in a community. And, and I believe that we need to get away from this American dream as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because I feel like, mm. I don't know what the mark of the beast is. I have my theories, but it says in Revelation that you can't buy or sell without it. That's a big thing. Like it's like, well, you if you want to buy or sell, you got to have the mark. And for me, I barely grew a garden this summer. It was amazing because I, I my first garden, I I didn't grow anything. And it was like, <laughs> some squash, but everything died. So for me to to think about, well, if I can't buy or sell, that's how I that's how I get everything almost. Mm-hmm. And like that's I think a huge statement of encouraging us to change the way that we live right now of saying that it's going to be real convenient to get this mark because it's going to allow you to buy or sell. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, do you think it'll be a literal mark? I don't know what it is. My personal hunch, I guess I would say is that it is some kind of form of uh, merging ourselves with technology mm. to enhance or to go to a new way of living because i just see that in the trend of how we live our intimacy is getting so much closer to technology and to the point where um 
I believe that we're going to merge with it. I think that it's going to be very glorified as the next step of evolution. But, you know, we're already starting to kind of live in these cocoons and, and like yeah. the video gamers that will like go get in these suits and put the goggles on. And they just kind of they become something else. And I think that, you know, the future of welfare is going to be like people addicted to video games and they're in the suits and experiencing whatever they want. And they're just like, I'm not leaving this because what does the world really have to offer? That's and when you don't drug. have, yeah, when everything sucks, we look for escapes for reality. Yeah. And I think everything's going to get suckier. Mm, so mm. that's, mm, that's, that's my personal take. The biggest thing I'm afraid to say is we all need to get together and we just need to like sell everything we have and go live off the land and like become a more intimate church and like learn how to work together and mm. trust each other and, stop putting our faith in money mm. and uh hmm. i also i think i'm afraid because i am so overwhelmed by how underqualified i am to participate in anything like that because it's like there's so many skills that you'd have to have realistically to make that happen that i don't know but i truly really believe that god is putting that together hmm. and there will be a drastic change in not only the way that you know, we, we believe that the way we live and the way that we exist mm -hmm. because society is so distracting from God. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. there has to be a change in the way we live in order for us to have this huge revival that I think anybody that is really passionate about their faith is saying that has to happen. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's saying that. That's <laughs> awesome, man. Where's the rest of your, uh, the church that you attend, like, are they kind of on the same page as you with that? Or is that not something that you bring up? I mean, I, I, I hint at it. And, like, I, I'll, I'd bring up the point about, like, well, you know, we can't buy or sell after a certain time. You know, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, I, kind of those things. But I, I haven't just blatantly said, like, hey, like, let's put our heads together and figure out a different way to live. Yeah. Because I guess another part of my fear, it's like such a big layered fear. I just need to... I need to overcome, but I, I have this other fear that, that people are just not going to care. Yeah. <laughs> like, that that's such an inconvenient thing that I'm not going to worry about it. I, and, I, and there's also this kind of idea that's just like, well, you know, I don't have to worry, anything, worry about anything because cause I'm saved or something, mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Do you think the future is in revival? I guess maybe another way to word it is, and this is something that I wonder about, and I'd like for the answer to be yes, that, that revival will be sufficient. But like, if it's just like a kind of shaking back awake, I think maybe this is where I was going with that previous question that we forgot all about. But like how in Protestantism, there's always like a reexamining and like kind of shaking back awake. We get too comfortable and then we rebel against it sort of thing. But yeah. then, you know, with Christ, there was essentially, I mean, I guess you could call Christianity uh, a branch of Judaism if you wanted to, but nobody really sees it like that, you know? And yeah. of course, you know, Christ didn't come like to make a new religion implicitly, but you know, there's so many things that we would disagree with people of Jewish faith on that you can't deny that it's a totally different almost like a, dia a totally different dialect, which becomes a language sort of thing to make another metaphor. But um, like how, how similar to what people recognize as Christianity do you think that this realized way of living would be? Like, do you think either side would kind of shut the door on the other? Do you think that everyone would get on board with it and say, okay, you're just another denomination or would it be almost like a like mormonism thing where they say oh no yeah we're still christians but nobody else <laughs> says that they are what i see it as is i see that not only christians are going to participate in this mm. and i think that's why it's so important because a huge part of my heart is helping the people i love know who jesus is mm. and I believe that the people that are going to revolutionize this uh, new, I guess, way of sustaining life is not only going to be uh, Christian, but of, of every walk. Just those with 
whatever is is inside their spirit that says i have to do something to change this mm. and not everybody is going to be christian but i think that's the beauty of it in mm. the way that i see this vision for the future is that everybody that is going to do this is going to have a group that is going to work differently because mm. they're not going by any sort of standard that society has so everybody that puts their heads together is going to go differently about this i'm sure some will go be completely christian and have these very strict you know rules and everything for the way i I see it i believe that there has to be what is the community and what is the church that is also part of the community but does not govern the community Mm. and um i believe that through a more intimate circle of of community that non-believers or rather people who have distance between them and god Mm will be able to see a need to be a part of that because church is this the way it is right now there's something that's so lacking about it of of how do we each individually contribute to the church and i believe that that is what the body truly um is truly calling us to do is we each have this specific role inside this intricate design and i believe that by having this simplification of life and also having people of different walks of faith or belief working together, that people who have distance in their heart from God can see how God is working in the lives of these individuals by being closer to the individuals. Mm. Because right now we're so isolated that we hardly have any idea what's going on with anybody. Right. Even our closest friends, like, you know, it's like, yeah. this is such a treat for me to talk with you today because I haven't connected with you since you were back in Kentucky playing that show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that was ever go and it's just like we do have access to be closer together uh-huh. but i feel like that the immediate drive isn't there because we don't have this closeness of community where it's kind of like we're together in situations whether we like it or not where a lot of times now it's kind of like we're only together when it's convenient yeah you gotta make a conscious effort yeah. do you see any irony in the fact that us connecting right now is 100 percent reliant on technology and <laughs> if we're living off the grid, that there's no way that our separation by, you know, states worth of distance, you know, we wouldn't be able to have such a conversation or connection. Well, I don't know. I have this vision of starting something like this on my family's property, but there is this fiber wire internet that goes like straight through. <laughs> so it's not that technology all in all is a bad thing. No, definitely okay. not. No, it's a very neutral tool. It's a very neutral tool. I'm just afraid with how Satan is really using that to restrict us and, and suffocate okay. us. That makes sense. But no, I don't imagine like going back to like the uh, 1600s or anything. Like that's not what I have in mind. Like I'm using all the resources available, but reapplying it to, to how we live. It's not like oh we'll never work again. You know, maybe it's like get a part time job and like rest of your time like just grow your food and like make sacrifices. Like maybe you get rid of a car or something mm-hmm. and like you can live off $500 a month with a part-time job. And then with a group of you, you can grow enough food just to live. Maybe a lot of the comforts won't be there, but um, I do believe that anyone that gets involved in that is going to realize how much better it is because of how many less distractions there are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, and they, they say that the richest people are the least happy. And I wonder if there's like kind of a connection there. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, more money, more problems. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. How do you feel about like the uh, minimalist movement? Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah, I, I dig it. I think that goes hand in hand with it. I mean, you can see all these different ideas right now that are really pointing towards that. This idea is like, we need to change the way we live. And I would love to see the church more radical in that of saying yes we need to change the way we live i see that a lot in the individual it's the individual that decides if that is important or not and it's mostly you know millennials are younger that i see that mm-hmm. here recently i went on this emmaus walk this retreat met a guy who i've recently become friends with and he is building a house inside of a school bus oh wow but they're trying to just simplify everything he says that he got into the American dream when he was, I think, 20 or something, and he's like trying to get out of it as fast yeah. as he can. Wow. But, you know, I, I asked him, I said, do you think that God 
put that in your heart to go with that dream. And, you know, he started to kind of piece it together just on the spot. And he said, yeah, I definitely do think that he's, he's doing that. Mm. So hmm. as far as this revolution of breaking away from society, I believe that that will be a result of a revolution of Christ's empathy. Mm. And that I believe is, is where we're at now is we're, we're in this chapter of a revolution of empathy. And yeah, through that, we will see, we will better understand the need to be closer with one another. And I think we'll better, better understand the problem of, of isolation uh, Mm. within ourselves and within the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you alluded to um, like members of different faiths, all kind of existing in community together, do you see Christianity in name as being the only access route to God? For me, yes, mm-hmm. because it's what I believe. It's who I believe in. And I've got to be really careful with this, too, because there is this, this movement right now that's kind of like, we all believe the same thing. Right, and right. it's just like, that's just being really vague uh-huh, yeah. and ambiguous. And that's, no, we don't. But I believe that it's healthy under the idea of we all believe different things. But we are trying to know who God is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's that word, God. We're trying to know who the divine right, is sure, or what sure, the divine sure. is. So for me, it's it's any time that I'm going to be with somebody who's different than me, I'm going to, you know, I, I feel very comfortable saying, you know, I pray to Jesus, but you believe something else, but we can still work together, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. There's... <laughs> The part where, where Jesus says um, he he gets on the the disciples because they're criticizing this group who is doing miracles but not doing it in the name of Jesus, mm. and Jesus says, "Well, those who are not against us are, are with us." Wow! And you know, I, I think that's just that's a great example. It, it, the more we isolate ourselves, it's like, oh, well, you are not a Christian, so I I can't be friends with you. That's just that's. That's awful. Yeah. That's isolating us in the in the worst possible way, and I believe that's totally where Satan wants us. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's a great response. I like that a lot. Is there anything else that you specifically want to touch on? Or, well, we we started talking about you know uh, a lot of the things that in the church that you were excited about the Revolution Church because it's breaking away mm-hmm. from parts of mainstream Christianity. What are the things, if you could wake up tomorrow mm-hmm. and something about the church was just changed or gone or just like it was different in, in some kind of way, what would you hope that would just change immediately if, if, if it happened like that? Yeah, man. I think ideally I would have like maybe a week or something to process that question. That's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> but just off the top of my head... I'd probably have to just kind of keep it simple and say truly embracing the golden rule. Wow. You know, the, the church actually loving their neighbor as themselves. So first off, loving themselves, which I think a lot of people don't even realize their lack of love for self and their lack of acceptance for self. And then they project that legalism and that high moral performance onto other people and, you know, start pointing fingers and stuff like that. But then also, you know, you know, truly loving your neighbor and your neighbor doesn't necessarily mean the person sitting in the pew next to you. You know, your neighbor can be the person on the fringe of society. And, you know, of course you see Christ interacting almost exclusively with those people on the fringe of society, like the outcasts and the people who are not socially acceptable. And so, yeah, I think my most simple answer would be just people actually loving everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Without bias, without qualifiers, without saying, Oh, well, we can't love them because they blank, 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 you know, or they're not on our team. And so we can't love them. That's not to imply any sort of like universalism or anything like that. That's not the road I'm trying to go down. Not to say in whatever anyone does is totally fine. Like there's a lot of people in self-destructive lifestyles, you know, that need love to bring them out of that. And 
you know, that still is a thing, but how are you ever going to show them love if you're not accepting them and you're not showing them love, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I think you can accept and love people without condoning and supporting every single decision that they make. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm so glad you said that because there's something that God uh, did ask me to share. And, um, it is a conviction of, uh, my lack of love for my neighbor. And I'm so glad you said that because it really, it does bring it down to what the greatest commandment is, is love, to love God and to love our neighbors. And I was um, recently on a trip visiting my, my fiance's family in uh, Silver City, New Mexico. We were in town and there happened to be a, a man who we started uh, to talk to. And I started realizing that he was telling me these stories. He was, he was very drunk and belligerent and he was, he was starting to kind of lie to me. I, it's just a lot of things I could just, it was, wasn't adding up. I could tell he was just kind of spin out lies. And, and to me, like everybody has their, their pet peeve and lying is mine. So I, I shut him off and, uh, you know, I just kind of pushed him out. And, uh, as we were getting in our cars, he shouted out something. It was along the lines of, uh, you know, where are you guys staying tonight? And I just shut the door and, uh, my fiance Amy, she said, "You know, he just seems really alone." And 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 at that time, I felt I felt Jesus really convict mm. me. And he's just like, "How dare you? How dare you? How dare you treat one of my children like?" That? Wow, man. When he's just he's lonely, he doesn't have anybody to talk to. He wants some some warmth. And how dare you treat him like mm. that? And because I just shut him out, and I just shut the door on. And feeling that in my heart. I rolled down the window and uh, he came closer and, you know, we just talked for a little bit and, you know, explained, Hey, I'm, I'm, we're staying with their family and we just had a little time to talk and, you know, just said, you know, I hope you have a good day and mm. yeah, see you around, you know, just being, you know, connecting mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. and, and regardless of what state of mind he was in or, or what he had told me or, you know, how many lives, you know, still like to treat him just as a friend, you know, mm. and, after that, I felt some peace in him, and then there was peace in my heart, and there was this this sense of of love that had been created, mm. and it would have not been there unless Jesus had convicted me and just said, "You are being so unloving," and um, I I I believe in in this message that comes from this conviction because. It's something that I wouldn't have noticed without that. And it's this is something that, yeah, if if you woke up and everybody did love, <laughs> you know, their neighbor as 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 they did themselves. And, you know, in the way that God loves us. But there would be so much less isolation mm-hmm. and so much less despair and loneliness mm-hmm. and Really, that's that is so important. So, um, yeah, through this conviction, it really did help me see how far my my heart could stray away from God, mm. and um, I'm I'm very thankful to have that realization. Yeah, man, that's powerful. Wow, yeah, and it did, it's not that you had to like take that guy back with you, you know, right, like, right, and potentially maybe you know not to make any assumptions i'm sure that maybe this is maybe me putting something on that guy that that may or may not be true but you know potentially endangering anybody that you're staying with like it's not that you're supposed to like rally up people who could potentially hurt you or or expose yourself in in such a way well maybe we should expose ourselves in such a way that we could get hurt but uh, yeah it's just like maybe what some would call like guidance from the Holy Spirit, just knowing when it's appropriate to do what just in the moment. And like you said, you were open and connected enough to like kind of hear that message and then alter your mind and alter how you were treating this guy. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a tricky thing for people is because I think Christianity does kind of essentially call for this absurd open love 
at the same time, we can't be just going around pouring ourselves out and, you know, emptying ourselves, casting our pearls before swine, I guess, to use a biblical metaphor. I just wonder, I don't know, man, I guess I don't, I don't really know where that line is, honestly, like between exposing yourself and being vulnerable and doing that foolishly, you know? Right. Right. Do you think that's something that we just kind of have to be kind of in conversation with God about, like in the moment? Absolutely. I believe that that has to come from the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. because I agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, that's, that's a, that's a wild card. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, luckily for us, we just so happen to have the perfect example of that, you know, Christ was constantly interacting with people who could have, you know, potentially, you know, people accused him of being a drunkard and hanging around prostitutes, you know, and, and stuff like that. And he, he was hanging around prostitutes and I'm sure he wasn't, you know, getting drunk or anything, but he was drinking with, you know, people who were on the fringe and, and unacceptable and stuff like that. And so he did walk that line, I guess. And so it's fortunate for us that we have that example of, when and where to pour ourselves out and when and where to expose ourselves and make sure ourselves vulnerable, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that you made, you like made that boom conclusion. Like, <laughs> But man, I'm glad we were able to make this happen for real. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow morning, uh, Danny, Danny and I are, uh, going out to the woods. We're working on this, uh, it's like cabin up there. Oh, wow. Building it. Really? So we're going to get up early and start working on it. That's awesome. It's we're not, we are not carpenters. <laughs> but it's, it's just like the way it's coming together is just, it's ridiculous. Like it's just like covering up mistakes and nailing boards on the boards on the boards where we just like messed up like where it was. Like It's like, that'll work. It's fine. Like it's a learning. Experience. Oh yeah. That's been a lot. Of- That's your learning project there. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Oh, I can't wait to, yeah, keep me updated on that. That'd be good. That's a good in. Yeah. Updated yeah. on how your property's coming along. <laughs> your project. That's awesome. But yeah, I'll uh I'll I'll let him know that uh that we were in, in touch last night. I can tell him you said hey. Cool, yeah, do that. Oh please do that. Yeah. yeah. I love Danny. I love Danny so much. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I appreciate that. Awesome, man. Well, love you, dude. Yeah. I love you, too. We'll be in touch. Okay, man. All right. All right talk to you Good soon. Night. night. All right. Later. that was my FaceTime interview with Ed Rogers and for me knowing Ed and having known Ed for such a long time it's really kind of fascinating seeing how his passions haven't so much changed but been kind of redirected and reapplied with his new perspective on life and his new relationship with God Ed was always fascinated by technology and like he alluded to, almost went into a career in the video game industry. And he would even frequently talk about the merge of humanity and technology, you know, like the singularity as a good thing, as something to look forward to, as the viewpoint that he now opposes, it being the next step in human evolution. And also his healthy focus and drive and desire for community for true community between people who share a common vision. Like I said in the intro, with his orchestrating of arch rivals of that community of artists. And Ed, I should have mentioned this before, Ed himself is a poet, which you may have picked up on from some of the references that he made and from some of the parts of the interview. But he majored in English at Western Kentucky University and is a very, very talented poet. I still have a book of his poems that he made as his thesis, and I still enjoy reading through that, and he's just so creative, and one of the bands that we were in together 
was like a spoken word over kind of math rock. It was kind of a weird amalgam of styles of music. But he and I would kind of, uh, I guess, spit poetry over this kind of changing landscape of music. And, yeah, he's just a really, really talented guy, and he's always got a big vision that he's working towards. And I think that he's healthily applying that attribute of himself in his new walk, in this new season, to put it in Christianese for you. Anyhow, thanks for listening. As you probably know by now, you can find Air of Grievances on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also go to patreon.com slash grievances and become a patron if you'd like. I'd like to point out that one of the tiers of patronage and, by the way, all you have to do is sign up for this once and then you can withdraw your pledge. But one of the higher tiers of patronage includes an interview on the air. So you could pledge once, get an interview on the air that I cannot deny, that I cannot censor, <laughs> and we can duke it out if you want, or we can just chit-chat. It's totally up to you. So anyhow, thank you all for listening. I love you all. Remember to go to revolutionchurch.com to donate, or just listen to some of Jay's sermons. That is my local church that I'm involved in, and starting to get involved with helping Jay out with the podcast, actually, which is something that I'm really, really, really excited about. And that puts a bow on this episode, so we'll talk to you guys next week. Love ya.